Welcome to Leading from Alignment, a weekly podcast from Converge Coaching, where our passion is to help you lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Welcome to another episode of Leading from Alignment with our good friend, John Opaluski and a special guest. How are you doing today, John? Jim, I'm really doing good. It's good to visit with you uh, prior to recording today, just catching up. I always love doing that with you. Yeah. Why don't you tell us who this other face is, That for those of us that are watching, who, who is this other face that we have joining us today? Well, on episode 121 today, we're really delighted to have with us uh, Aaron Halavin. Aaron is uh, a personal friend of, of ours. I've known Aaron since I think he was three years old and uh, just have watched uh, him walk with the Lord, uh, be an amazing husband, father, pastor of a wonderful church, and now um, uh, assuming a new role just several months ago. And we're going to we're going to talk more about that in a minute. So, Aaron, we're so grateful that you carved time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be with you. And Jim, thanks for introducing that face, not the bald head. I appreciate that very much. It's great to be with you. Bouncing ball as it it leaves. Hey, Aaron, I think because people, some people really know you well, Johnson, since you're a three. I've known you since you've had hair. So not not that long ago. But uh, but what tell us about your 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 testimony. Like you came to Christ. Tell us about that. Just to help us to kind of get to know who you are. Yeah. I grew up in a pastor's uh, home as a pastor's kid. Uh, the story, I don't remember it specifically, but my mom said that I was five years old and I said, Hey, how how do I give my life to Christ and gave my life to Christ in a church in Saginaw, Michigan, and, uh, have served the Lord my whole life all through school. I've, uh, people have asked me, what made you decide to serve him your whole life? And the answer is not that I would change this, but I've never found anything better. And even if I did, I'd still continue to serve Christ because there is nothing better. And I've enjoyed every part of that journey with him. And I've just loved him. We've walked every part of life together. And um, I just don't know life without Christ at the center of it. Not that I've been perfect at living my faith my whole life, but I've, I really just don't remember a time without Jesus in my whole existence. And it's just been wonderful. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. When we pray over kids, like we dedicate babies, that's our prayer. May they yeah. never know a day that they don't know you. May their, may their testimony be from my earliest memories. Jesus has always been there. That's, yep. that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, Aaron, it, it, when somebody tells me that they've been a Christian since age five, I'm happy for them, but I'm jealous too. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I, I didn't give my life to, uh, to Jesus until I was 16. And I think I, I think I did a lifetime of sinning in the first 16 years of my life. And, uh, just some of the things, you know, that uh, still after, you know, walking with the Lord for so many years that I remember, you know, before Christ and things I grapple with. Uh, and so it's just a wonderful story that, you know, you've been walking with the Lord basically your entire life. And uh, so, you know, we're, we're, uh, I, I'm jealous, but I'm happy at the same time. Um, so Aaron, when did you when did you start sensing the call to pastoral ministry? Kind of talk to us about that. Can you describe that call for us? How did that unfold? And, and you know, uh, give us just some details around that. Yeah, I was at uh, kids camp, a uh, teenager, uh, and really started to sense uh, the call of God on my life, but I didn't really want to do it. Um, uh, there's a difference between sensing God's call and then being obedient to it. 
I uh, kind of decided I wanted to do business. I loved business. I love, I, I still love the business side of church. I uh, always have and uh, wanted to travel the world and, and uh, maybe retire young. Uh, I don't know. I just had all those youthful dreams and how that was going to work. And, and so I kind of put it on the shelf. I remember being very frustrated uh, in life because everything I did, I enjoyed. I've never not enjoyed anything I put my heart to. At the same time, I, I had this nagging, annoying kind of, you know, presence of the Lord kind of bothering me. And I was worked at EDS. I worked at an oil company in Michigan, was enjoying that, uh, had some opportunities to advance down the road. And I remember sitting in my uh, office at the oil company and a, a receptionist came to the my area, my cubicle and said, Hey, are you going to do this and that? And the company, I said, I hope to. And then as she was walking away, she literally said, uh, well, I guess I thought you'd be a pastor, but maybe you're too scared to try. Mm -hmm. And it was this moment that just kind of hit me at 12 mile in Greenfield in Southfield, Michigan. And I went out and sat on a parking lot curb. Someday I'm going to go shoot a video from that parking lot curb. If it's still there. And, uh, and I said, Lord, if you want me to do this. And up until that point, I'd been frustrated with my dad. Uh, you know, he was a pastor. And I would say to him, I think I'm called to be a pastor. And he'd say, well, tell me when you know. And, he and I'd say, what do you think? And he says, tell me when you know. And this went on and on and on. And so finally, I came home after that encounter at my company and said, you know, I know I'm called to be a pastor. He goes, you know that? And I said, I know that. He goes, I agree. And I said, mm -hmm. why didn't you tell me? And he said, because there's going to come a point in ministry where you're going to want to quit. You can't hear the voice of your dad. You have to hear the voice of God who called you. I didn't call you. God did. And from that moment on, I walked into youth pastoring, then associate pastoring, then lead pastoring. I loved serving in those roles in the same church for 23 years. And then uh, now find myself in this role, learning a whole new way to approach leadership and a whole new way to lead people. So it's been a long journey of, of saying, yes, God always had my yes. He just didn't always have my obedience. Right. I knew he wanted to use me. That was never the issue. The issue was how and where. And ironically, I've traveled the world in ministry. And it's amazing that God puts things in your heart and we misinterpret them, uh, that it was supposed to be business that was going to send me around the world. It turned out it was uh, serving in the kingdom that's helped me be able to accomplish the dreams I had and put missions at the forefront of my heart. So that's a little bit of the story, how I got there. And I've never looked back and never regretted it once. Now, recently, a bunch of people got together and said, who do we want to be our, our leader moving forward? Yeah. And hundreds of people said, we, we want uh, this person or that person. When the votes were counted, you were the new superintendent of the Michigan District of the Fellowship of the Sons of God. And I remember thinking, I wonder how he's going to handle that. That's, a, you know, that's quite a that's quite a mantle to, to get a hold of. And I called you shortly after, and I jokingly said, is this the illustrious Graham Poobah of the Assemblies of God? You said, I prefer the term supreme leader. Do you remember saying yeah. that? And I started laughing. I said, he's got it. He's still Aaron. Like he, like the, didn't... And I was joking. I oh, was yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron is fine. The, the, the fact that, that you are still you. You put a, a five-year-old in a tuxedo at a wedding, and everybody expects them to be an adult. And they're just a five-year-old in a tuxedo. So you put somebody into an office and you put this mantle on them. Does that, does that change them? Are they all of a sudden speaking in King James English? And you were just you. And I thought, oh, he's going to be so much fun to serve with. So tell us, tell us about that new, this new role in your life of uh, really being the pastor to 251 congregations scattered throughout Michigan. 
Yeah, it's it's been fun. I've been on a listening tour, really hearing the heart. I didn't want to present a vision that's my vision. I wanted to present the vision that's our vision, a corporate vision. Yeah. Um, as I've gone around the state, I think churches and pastors are in various stages of four stages. Um, and it comes straight out of Romans chapter five. Uh, it, the Bible says there that uh, Paul says that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. I've been preaching this in the churches that I've had the opportunity to speak in. I think it's all four stages. I think there are pastors and churches that are still in the suffering phase from this last season um, that are suffering financially, emotionally, relationally, loss of people. There are some who've moved to the persevering stage where they sort of recourage their own spirit. And I did say recourage. Uh, encouragement is from the outside in. Recouragement is from the Holy Spirit on the inside out. It's that moment where you just sort of, that Rocky moment in the movie where you just get up and you hear the music, you know, dun, 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 and you go, okay, it's happening. They're in that perseverance phase. And then there's some that have moved out of suffering and perseverance and are in that character development. It's made pastors and leaders and churches ask questions like, who are we really going to be? What did we need to peel off of our ministries that were no longer essential or effective? Uh, what are we going to be moving forward? It's that character development. It toughened up some probably leaders who needed some strength, and it probably humbled some who thought things were going really well. And, and so then there's some churches that are in the hope phase where they've just decided it's time to go forward, and we're going to be hope in a, in a dark season, in a difficult year. So my assessment is, is that our churches and our pastors are in all various stages of those four parts. Romans 5 has been my theme. Uh, and then, of course, Acts 20, you know, take care of yourself uh, and then the congregation, your flock. And so I'm, I'm really concerned about pastors. I'm very concerned about churches. I'm also encouraged by pastors and I'm also encouraged by churches. And I also can sense the hope that some churches have made it through and kind of walking through that spiritual formula that Paul lays out, suffering to perseverance, perseverance to character character to hope. So uh, when you're in a local church, your, your church is, tends to be like all at hope or all at suffering or all, you know, with little mini parts, but you get a whole feel. When you lead a, a larger collection of 254 churches, not just- oh, sorry, one, sorry. Uh, you have a great church planning director. That sounds yeah, like- Yeah, that's it right there. I know that guy. His name's Jim, by the way. Uh, but when you really lead churches, you have all of those churches that are dealing with different avenues. And so the day is, is similar to pastoring when you get a phone call, hey, we got engaged. The next phone call is, hey, someone passed away. Hey, my marriage is falling apart. Hey, we just had a baby. Hey, I had a miscarriage. You get that all in a day. It's kind of like that in leadership. Every church, every pastor is in a different spot. And uh, so I, I think that's kind of my assessment mm -hmm. of my first seven months is um, we're in works in progress towards hope. Love it. Yeah, that's that's so good. You know, Aaron, I was thinking that um, it, most leaders in the business world, any leader in any organization faces storms. Mm -hmm. My sense is that pastors face one after the other sometimes, you know, like it, it just doesn't stop. And and I think uh, from where I sit, I do I appreciate that you're seeing churches at, at different stages, at, at different levels. Um, there is this sense uh, among leaders, and I'm curious what you think about this, uh, that we're interacting with that, when is this, you know, when is it going to like settle down? Um, it just, 
And I was just having this conversation yesterday with a dear friend of mine who pastors a wonderful church. And he said, John, it's been one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. And, you know, there are times when I think, man, I just need to get out of here and go somewhere else because maybe it won't be that bad uh, in the next place. What, I mean, how, what would you say to a pastor who is in that spot today, you know, who is just like they're listening or they're watching today and they're thinking, man, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. What would you yeah. say to them? Well, first of all, I would say be careful about your self-talk because I mm. find that my self-talk often lies. Um, it's yeah. not untrue to what I feel, but that's the dangerous part. My feelings can't drive my common sense. It's what I said at the beginning. My dad said, there's going to be a moment when you want to quit. And uh, you have to hear it was the voice of God who called you, not the voice of your own emotions or your grandmother or somebody who gave you a, a word one day of encouragement. Yeah. Um, I've learned that that in ministry, as you walk through this, as you gauge where you're at, you really have to decide, has God released me from this or not? You know, yeah. pastors will call me and say, hey, I feel like God's moving me on. And I'll say, OK, are, do you, or I feel like I want to go to another place. I say, did God release you from this one? And they say, no. And I say, then let's stop having a going conversation and let's have a staying conversation. Yeah, I think we're really quick to want to have a going conversation. And sometimes we skip the what does it take to stay conversation. So I would encourage pastors right. to really ask themselves to stay. Am I capable of leading us beyond this? Two, has God released? Well, first, has God released me from this? Two, am I capable of leading us beyond it? What is it going to take to lead beyond this? Who do I need to rally around this? to move us forward. And then where is my outlet? Where's the people in my life that I can just be yeah, real yeah. with that I can call and just say, I'm really struggling, cry on the phone with, you know, I, I talked to a pastor the other day, just answered the phone. He's just crying. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so what I did with them was we talked, I cried with them. It's tough situations. At the end, we didn't solve anything in his church, but he's got an ally and yeah. he knows he's got a friend who will cheer him on. So I think those are some of the things we have to really assess. And um, I also find as a pastor, when I'm discouraged, typically my wife is okay. Uh, or if you're a female, your husband is okay. Uh, the dangerous seasons are is when neither of you are okay. Mm. And that could be a sign that God's moving you on. So don't be afraid of that. But it also could be a warning sign. Now's not the time in the middle of the pit to decide right. to, you know, bail. So uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, there's some deeper, tougher questions that we have to ask ourselves to be really honest. Am I frustrated or is this, this a shift in my calling? And those are two different things. You know, Aaron, they, they, the, the, you're talking about the husband and the wife, but there's often a family involved, children that are involved yeah. in this. And, you know, such a, a social media, online school, are your parents for this or against that? Am I for this or against that? I mean, it really has done these kids are being raised in something, I hate the word, but I'm going to use it, unprecedented. I hate that word. The word unprecedented and pivot. It makes me want to just punch somebody. I, it's always negative. I heard way too much of it. But so, but these really are times where, I mean, these kids are going through something that no one really knows how to lead them through. What, what are you suggesting to, to parents, pastoral parents, leadership parents, about how to steward their kids during this time? Have you seen a, have people come to you and say, man, my kids are really going through it? Or has that been one of the, one of the problems? And what have you told them? Yeah, I mean, I, I was lead pastor through the whole beginning parts of the pandemic, and, and I've talked to many pastors. I'm very concerned about pastor kids right now. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why is several things. Number one, people in churches, the safe space that 
pastor's kids have one of two perspectives. Their church is a wonderful, safe place, or it's a terribly threatening place where they lose their identity. And that really is gauged upon how the pastor has approached that. I remember my oldest, when she was seven years old, she looked at a kid's worker and I had told our church, you let my kids be kids. And that means you treat them like every other kid and they won't act like pastor's kids. And so my daughter said to the teacher, I should be in the front or my dad will fire you. And you know what the teacher did said, you will go to the back of the line because you're not going to do that because your mom and dad don't want that. And, and my daughter apologized to that teacher. And it was great because in our culture at our church, pastor's kids were just normal kids. The problem is during the pandemic, especially the early days, the most contentious days, uh, a lot of pastors were at home working in their house. And their kids may have heard things that they normally wouldn't have heard, Mm -hmm. conversations on phone calls that they wouldn't have been a part of. They watched the church become unsafe. They saw people, if if you were on the more conservative side, uh, I know know that churches where uh, they wore mask mandates for a a while longer than others. Uh, I know pastors' kids that would stand in the hallway, and when their parents would come around the corner, people would put masks back up. And when they would move the corner, they'd pull them back down. And kids saw that as a disrespect to their own family, as like, do they not like my my mom or do they not like my dad? They saw social media arguments. And boy, did the church fight with each other more than any. I mean, we fought more with each other in the kingdom of God than any time I can remember in my life history. Uh, In fact, the chance for us to be hope in the world kind of became, we became mostly the negative voice to each other. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and then people started making comments that they weren't thinking. So they would say things like, um, I know teenagers that are uh, kids of parents uh, or the pastors, they would have um, comments made by students. Oh, your dad shut down the church again. And oh, what's wrong with this? And, And what people didn't understand is pastors' kids were trying to be at home with their family in an uncertain time. And now they're unsafe the church became unsafe. Their friends were now criticizing their parents. And unfortunately, even in churches like mine, where kids were just kids, they became more the pastor's kids than they've ever been in their entire life. And then people left the church. And so I'm very concerned about pastoral kids because I can tell you most pastors who have teenagers have told me that they've had to have very significant conversations with their, their kids about the health of church, how people are just people, how to still love. And I think the biggest problem is pastors were hurt and pastors sort of maybe played into that a little with their family Mm. without trying not to, you know, the woe is me. You know, I, I know so much of what Converge does is to help pastors have balanced life. One of the problems is there are some pastors who only want to focus on how hard their life is and don't want to talk about the blessings of their life. Look, as a pastor, you get to go to your kids' baseball games that other people might not do. Yes, you work on the weekends. Yes, you work, you're on call 24-7, but you do have some help that is different than other people have. So I think pastors were hurt. Um, I know in my own home, there were days my wife just cried because it was really hard to see people that we always loved suddenly didn't seem to really be excited about the leadership decisions we were making, and your kids saw that. So I'm concerned about it. That's what I've seen. And I think the solution to that is to reconnect with the fact that pastors and their kids are just people. 
Um, they're just people, just like you and I. They're called to a different office, but they're just people. Right. And a pastor and a family has the responsibility to minister to the, the most uh, you know, physically threatened by a virus, to the least physically threatened by a virus, to the most emotionally struggling, to the most emotionally solid, to... I mean, there, it's the wide range of ministry within a local church. And so I think we need to just realize pastors are just people and they're not perfect and they know they're not perfect. Uh, they don't know. I, I can't tell you how many times I said, I don't know if this is the right decision. I have no clue if this is the right decision. And I regret some of them. And I, and I think I should have made other ones. So number two, let kids just be kids. You know, when they're in the hallways, just let them be normal. Let them laugh. Let them make mistakes. Not, I'm not talking sinful thing. I'm just let them, let them be goofy. Let them, uh, you know, when I pastored, our youth group would send me text messages of words they wanted me to insert in my sermon. And we were having an ongoing competition. And so they'd send me the word platypus and I'd have to work platypus into my message. And when I would, they'd roar and parents would be mad and shaking their finger at their kids. And finally I told the church and they laughed. I want kids to be kids. They shouldn't carry the burdens. They have smaller shoulders. Uh, and so I encourage church, I encourage church people and pastors to be more encouraging to each other to recognize the difficulty of seasons and then come alongside and tell them how good they're doing and things. Uh, love on them just for being a person and being themselves. And then lastly, I would encourage, or maybe not lastly, but additionally, I would encourage church leaders and pastors and people in congregations to really pray for their leaders and really pray for their pastor's kids. Um, pastor's kids either typically love the church and end up serving in it the rest of their lives, or hate the church and never want to be a part of it again. There's not a lot of in between. It seems to be two extremes. Pray for your pastor's kids. Yep. Um, you know, pray by name for them. Uh, pray blessings on them. When you see them, tell them not how great their parents are, or how good the church is. Find a quality about them as an individual and say, you're an amazing person. You've got a great smile. You, That's a cute outfit you have on today. That's you know, I just love the way God's using you. Find qualities of who they are. Treat them as an individual and uh, love on them back to health. So those are some of the dynamics that I think shaped this season and the concerns. And I will tell you, parents are very concerned because kids are asking tougher questions than they've ever asked before. And I know my daughters have asked me some very specific questions about this last season and how to process that moving forward. So those are some thoughts. Great advice. Great advice. John, you got another question for Aaron? Um, you know, Aaron, I, I was thinking that um, I was thinking about, you know, you grew up in a pastor's home. Yeah. What were the things that you saw in your parents that kept you moving in the right direction? You know, I, I know your parents and I and I and I, I had a somewhat of a front row seat, actually, to how you were raised. And I always admired the way your parents raised you, but if, you know, what were the things as a kid growing up that really kind of helped you resolve maybe some faith issues or, or kept you in the, in a, in the right frame of mind as a pastor's kid? Could you, could you speak to that? Yeah. And, and let me just say this, all of my hurts in life primarily have come from church people. Mm. So you have to understand, I haven't lived a perfect life. Most of my pain has come from the very people I served. Uh, but when I was a kid, I want a couple qualities that stand out. Number one, 
my brother and I were always first. Um, my mom and dad always made us their priority. We were never second um, ever one time. I love this, I, Jim, I'll embarrass you, but if you're out to eat with Jim and his wife calls, do you know Jim will interrupt any conversation to answer his wife's phone call? I love that. I was in a meeting with a superintendent the other day and his son called and he says, I got to leave the meeting. He was in the middle of talking. He came back in and said, I'm sorry, I, I had to leave, but I made a commitment to my kids. Whenever they called, I would answer. And so I, we were number one, always number one. Number two, we didn't always talk about church. Mm -hmm. uh, that is huge. We talked about sports and school and we watched basketball games, played basketball in the driveway. We, we went to family outings. We went on vacation. Church was not the dominating conversation of our home. In fact, mm -hmm. it was a part of it, but faith and family were the dominating yeah. conversations of our home. Absolutely, that was it. Church got discussed, but mostly on what time's church, when we going. They made church night fun. Every Wednesday, I don't know if you remember, Little Caesars was pizza pizza back in the day, the little guy, pizza pizza, you know? Yeah. And it used to be in a long sleeve paper you'd rip open. We didn't eat out much. We didn't have a lot of money, but every Wednesday was pizza night before church. So the whole night felt big. Um, my parents were willing to make sure I was at every activity, every event. They were great. They, so faith and family were more of the topics. We were just normal people. Number three, my dad and mom never lived something different than what I saw them preach ever one time. And I don't mean like occasionally I'm talking everything. If my dad said they gave money to missions, I knew they did because I saw him write the check. Um, not that he did it to show me, but I saw him sitting at the table and I could see the pile he put over here, his tithe check and his, you know, back when we did checks and uh, that over here. Um, when, when they said they prayed, I caught my dad praying. I caught my dad praying for me when he didn't know I heard him pray for me. Makes me emotional. I can remember him standing in the top of the basement stairs, hearing him praying for me, his son, when I was going through something. And it emotionally still touches my heart today. I, I, my mom was always in the word. I saw their personal faith was, was what was personal and their public faith was just who they were in public out of who they were in private. So they were real. Number four, they always told me uh, church is what we would do and go to rather we were pastors or not. And that's true. They, they always made that a priority. They loved going to church. They talked good about the church. Number five, they never involved us in negative conversation about people in our church. Even when people were negative, they never talked to us about it. Uh, people would come and go. We'd say, where did so-and-so go? Oh, they just moved on to another church. They're good people. God's going to bless them. We're going to be okay. You know, uh, even when my friends' families would leave, I would say, where did they go? It's going to be tough. Um, so they did that. And then lastly, um, when they were at church, watching them love people, and love what they did was inspirational to me. Uh, watching my dad get on the floor level with a kid and talk to a kid on his knees while the kid, so he could be eye to eye with a you know five-year-old as the kid wanted to tell him a story. The joy of celebrating people's successes, watching people's lives, watching my dad and mom go to funerals and care for people. I mean, I went to more funerals than most people should um, in their lifetime, but just the way they cared for people. So it was the whole package, but it ministry was never something. In fact, my brother for a season of life wasn't really doing well with the Lord, but it was fascinating. He would come to church and he would still worship. 
And I got so mad at him one day. And I said, why do you worship the Lord while you're not even living for him? And he said this, well, God's never been the problem. I'm the problem. God's still worthy of worship, whether I'm doing everything right or not. And I thought that is so bizarre. But I thought about it as years have gone on. And I can tell you what that was. The respect for the Lord flowed out of their, our view, front row seat to people who live for the Lord. And God was never the issue. It was our own independence, our own growing in lack of maturity. And so even on that level, church, the Lord, all of that was a fantastic experience in our home and continues to be so in our family as all my parents' grandchildren have made decisions for Christ uh, that are of age to do so and are excited about church and love God. And so those are just some things I learned from watching my parents and I'm trying to replicate in my own home. So beautiful, beautiful. John, how's our time look right now? Are we, we, I think we're buttoning up against time here, Jim, okay. unless you have another question for Aaron. Well, I think I just, we could take one more. This is the lightning round here, Aaron. Okay. So uh, it's a 30 <laughs> second question with a 10 second answer, probably. Okay. But let, let's just say right now, there, there's going to be several hundred people that hear this. Many of them are going to be key leaders, pastoral leaders in, in, in the church, if not the senior pastor. And, and if you had a chance to sit down, I know they're all in different places, but you're going to say one thing that's true for all of them. This is the one thing you want to say to anybody that's listening right now, as we look forward to the next year, uh, you know, we're, we're now in 2022 and who knows what it's going to be, right? What, what is the one thing you want everybody to understand, hear, know for, for 2022? God called you, God anointed you, be spreaders of hope wherever you go. And remember, your greatest calling is not to the ministry, it's to him first, and ministry flows out of the depth of the own relationship you have with God. So get closer to him than you ever have. Reach out to people like you never have before and be excited. If we focus on what's right in the world, we'll have the energy to fix what's wrong. Hmm. Ooh, I love that last one. So good. Give, give me the Chinese characters. I'm going to tattoo that one right on my arm. We have the, <laughs> say that again. If we, if we focus on what's right, we'll have the energy to... If we focus on what's right in the world and in our life and with God, we'll have the energy to fix what's wrong. That is, I, we flip it too much. We focus on what's wrong and we're drained yeah. and we're exhausted and it's overwhelming. I think if we focus on what's right. So every day of my life, I start with all through the day, every day, I focus on three different things than the day before that I'm thankful for. And uh, right before I got on here, I said, I'm thankful for John. I'm thankful for Jim. I'm thankful for their friendship. I want to focus on what's right in my life because I'll, then I'll have the energy to address what's not going well. Beautiful. So we can good. put a disclaimer on this episode. Listen all the way to the end. It's, it's great. So, the first part's boring. Just get to the no, end. No, 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 no. Just don't tune out before, you know, listen, listen to the last minute, then go back and hear the whole thing. So thank you, Pastor Aaron Halavin, for your leadership, your servanthood, and just your heart for people. I, it's funny. I, if you were um, a guy in charge of mowing the grass at a golf course, every, every golfer would know they're loved. And we... <laughs> We just appreciate that about just who you are. You're not doing something. You're just being who God made you to be. And that's accomplishing great things. So thanks for joining us today. And I would just say, John, to you, if, if people want to have a conversation with you about what we talked about today in some way, Converge can help them. How would they get a hold of you? Yeah, the best way to do that, Jim, is to go to our website, convergecoach.com and click on the contact us link. And that gives you uh, 30 minutes with us. Uh, we'll, we'll spend 30 minutes, half hour with you just talking about what's going on in your world and seeing if we can be helpful to you. Right on. All right. Our dear listeners and watchers, we love you. We're praying for you. Go get them. Focus on what's positive. So you'll have the strength to deal with what's negative. That's my new mantra for the day. So God bless you as you continue to all lead 
from alignment.